If you've been with us over the last few weeks, then you know the heart of this series is simple. Healthy, vibrant local churches filled with people following Jesus are the hope of the world. We kicked the series off two weeks ago by discussing the purpose of the local church. Then last week we discussed the power of the local church and today the presence of the local church. And if I do really well today, this is what you will learn. Within people most unlike God is where we are most likely to experience God. So grab a Bible, a phone, a notepad, whatever you must, and let's jump into part three of Nobody Else is Coming. Now before we do, what is the mission of Forest Park? Our mission is simple. Help people follow Jesus one step at a time. We never want to lose sight of what our purpose is. All right, let's jump into part three of Nobody Else is Coming. How do we save the world? Will politicians do it? If we find a vaccine for COVID-19, will that save the world? Well, those things may change the world. They may make the world a little bit better. But the older I get, the more I travel and the more I read, the more convinced I am that thriving, healthy, growing local churches filled with people who follow Jesus will ultimately save the world. Our world is a mess, and there's no one else coming to rescue us. It's up to us. This coming Wednesday, or November 18th, whenever you happen to be watching this message, Lana and I celebrate 19 years as pastors of Forest Park Church and an additional eight years divided by two other churches. That's 27 years pastoring and leading churches. We've seen about everything. We've traveled other countries, attended conferences with thousands, spoken in large rooms packed with people, small rooms with just a handful, preached outside, inside, while it was raining, when it was burning hot, to men only, to women only, to kids only, to prisoners, orphans, refugees, addicts, to the poor and the ultra-rich to friendly faces and hostile crowds. We've seen about everything. But nearly all of the 27 years have been in a church setting similar to what most of you experience. Indoors, air-conditioned, comfortable, clean. And it may surprise you to know, after all this time and all these experiences and sermons, I can't help but wonder if doing church the way we do church is the way church is supposed to be done. I don't mean Forest Park Church, I mean church, big C, the church around the world. Think about it. Jesus didn't stay inside four walls. He didn't have a platform on which he stood in order to preach. If you follow Jesus around the Gospels, you will notice Jesus spent a lot of time outside. He was always eating with people, talking with people, teaching people, telling stories to people, interrupting funerals, attending weddings, answering questions, debating the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Occasionally, we find Jesus in the synagogue, in the temple, in a professional religious environment, but rarely. Jesus spent large amounts of time with the kinds of people the devout religious crowd rejected. Jesus spent long stretches of time with people the law of Moses condemned, the ones considered unworthy by the devoted people of God. Because according to these religious zealots, nothing within these people resembled anything within God. 
They were drunkards, sexually immoral, mixed-bred, lepers, prostitutes. So they had no use for them. They considered them dirty, polluted, unclean. They were outcasts. And before you get all judgy toward the Pharisees, know that if you and I had been present, we would have rejected most of those people too. How do I know? Because rejecting unclean people would have been at the center of our religious culture. Our parents would have taught us to do so. Plus, I know we would because we reject a lot of those same kinds of people today. Why wouldn't we have rejected them at that time? I mean, let's be honest. If you could have been a fly on the wall in the homes and bedrooms of these sinners at that time, you would not have seen a lot of God. And you would have judged and rejected their behaviors. They drank too much, cussed too much, had sex with people other than their spouses, visited prostitutes, worshipped pagan idols, lied, cheated, stole, killed, took advantage of the elderly, skimmed off the top of their employer's profits, had sex with children, aborted their babies. And yet, Jesus hung out with them. He sat down in their homes and ate with them. He laughed with them, talked with them, answered their questions, enjoyed their food, heard their music. Ever wondered why? Because he was trying to save them from eternal perdition in hell, Scott. Not really. Because uh, he knew they needed God the most. Well, not actually. Because they were so messed up and they needed help. Well, sort of, but that's not really the bullseye. Jesus hung out with the people most unlike God. Because within the people most unlike God is where we are most likely to experience God. So here's my theory. If within the people most unlike God is where we are most likely to experience God, then those most like God should get around the people most unlike God as often as possible. And those most like God should be the church. So where should one find the church? Among those most unlike God. But I'm ahead of myself. Let's back up a little. I want to take a look at all of this from a different angle, and then we'll come back to the main point. The following information comes from Dr. John Dixon from his book, The Doubter's Guide to Jesus. Great book for all of you fellow doubters. Pick it up if you get a chance. Dr. Dixon writes this. He said the temple was the center of Israel's national and religious life. This was where God chose to dwell, according to the Hebrew Scriptures. It was where sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins could be made. It was where the country's leading teachers could be heard in the vast temple courts. It was where pilgrims gathered in tens of thousands, especially at Passover time, who sing and pray to the one true God. In the midst of this already heightened sense of occasion toward the end of his public career as a teacher and healer, Jesus entered the Jerusalem temple and proceeded to pronounce judgment on it as if he had authority even over the temple. Here's the passage of scripture. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. <laughs> it is hardly surprising that Jesus would be dead by the end of the week. It is also not surprising that one of the central charges laid against him at his trial was his reported contempt for the temple. Matthew's gospel records this. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? Jesus answered them, 
Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Very important that you remember that. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. <laughs> Dr. Dixon continues. He said, at first sight, this is a bizarre statement. Jesus' body, crucified and raised, is the temple? However, this is not the first time Jesus had identified himself with the temple. We get hints of it every time Jesus hands out divine forgiveness to people. Why is that? Well, in first century Judaism, only the temple priests could pronounce forgiveness. He acted like a mobile temple. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he entered the temple and declared its ministry bankrupt. He was not acting as a mere religious radical. According to the witness of the gospel writers, he was acting as God's replacement temple. All that the temple had meant for Israel for almost 1,000 years was now to be found in Jesus. Think about that. Now here's where it gets interesting. After his death and resurrection, Jesus announces his departure. He is returning to his father. His followers are nervous, but he tells them not to be concerned, but rather encouraged because he is sending another comforter, just like himself. That was last week's message. If you haven't watched it, go back and check it out. And the reason they should be happy, Jesus says, is because although he, the temple in human form, has been with them now via the Holy Spirit, he, the temple in human form, will be in them. He was with them, now he'll be in them. In essence, Jesus and his followers become one, which means those who are in Jesus become temples in human form too. Very interesting. It's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That's why what we do with our temples or our bodies matter. Now, that's another message. So are you following? Let me summarize it real quick before we kind of get to the heart of this message. The temple, the actual building in Jerusalem, was the place in Israel's history where God and humans met. They intersected, overlapped. But the building, the temple, was only a temporary foreshadowing of the temple, Jesus, and the temples, you and me. Listen, Jesus is the temple, the place where God and humans meet, intersect, overlap. And Jesus was not and is never stationary. He is mobile, moving, going, searching. And where do you find the mobile temple in human form? Here's some examples. In Mark chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, Jesus, the temple, sat down to eat at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus, the temple, and his disciples. Indeed, many of them had become his followers. When some of the legal experts from among the Pharisees saw that he, the temple, was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why is he, the temple, eating with sinners and tax collectors? Now I want you to think about that for a moment. The temple, the place where God and humans met for hundreds and hundreds of years, is now moving around and finding sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers and eating with them, 
and sitting with them. And it ticked off the religious crowd. Luke chapter 7, here's another example. John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. Yet the Son of Man, the temple in human form, came eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you see what's happening? The religious crowd is getting upset because Jesus, and we know now that he's the temple, the place where God and humans intersect. He's moving around and finding those who are a long way from God, those who are very much unlike God, and he's creating a place in their homes. He's creating a place in the streets where God and humans intersect, and the religious crowd is getting upset. And here's another example from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Many of you are familiar with the story. Here's how the story begins. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he returned to the temple. Very interesting. Literally, the temple, the building. All the people gathered around him, and he sat down and taught them. The legal experts and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Placing her in the center of the group, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? They said this to test him because they wanted a reason to bring an accusation against him. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. Verse 7. They continued to question him, so he stood up and replied, Whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote on the ground. Those who heard him went away one by one, beginning with the elders. Finally, only Jesus and the woman were left in the middle of the crowd. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Is there no one here to condemn you? And she said, No one, sir. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on. Don't sin anymore. I mention these passages to help you see where the temple goes, what the temple does, who the temple touches. The temple, Jesus, touched the sinners of his day, ate with the ones the religious people considered unclean, unworthy, dirty, polluted. The temple didn't wait for any of them to come to him. The temple traveled to where they were. Do you see the connection? The local church, temples in human form, is to be present or with the people who are most unlike God. Because with the people most unlike God is where we are most likely to experience God. So I want to ask you, who are the sinners and tax collectors of our day? Who are the ones considered unclean, dirty, and polluted? Think it over. And also, I want you to know this. You are a temple. You are where God and humanity meet. You are the intersection of the presence of God in our culture. That means when you wake up in the morning, the temple awakens. When you go to the gym, the temple is on the move. When you go to work, the temple goes to work. When you speak with someone, the temple is speaking. When you show patience and kindness, the temple is loving people. When you forgive, show mercy, defend, protect, the temple is doing it. When you leave here on Sundays, temples disperse throughout our community. The purpose of the local church, part one, to help people follow Jesus one step at a time. The power of the local church, part two, 
is to be infused with God's spirit so we have the power to accomplish the mission. And the presence of the local church today is to be with those who are most unlike God. Jesus was criticized for being a friend of sinners. They mocked him by saying, he eats with sinners and tax collectors. This was an insult. This was an affront. This was an assault on his character. This would have been a Facebook post for certain, with hundreds of comments, every armchair theologian and wannabe church leader jumping on and preaching, mostly critical of Jesus being too easy on sinners, not upholding the standard of holiness, not honoring the law of Moses, sugarcoating truth, compromising, tickling ears, you know, typical talking points. Yet Jesus kept going. He continued eating with sinners, befriending tax collectors, going to homes of those who were very much unlike God. Why? Because with the people most unlike God is where we are most likely to experience God. So who are the people in our culture today the church would consider most unlike God? Who are the people in our culture today the religious crowd would say, hey, those, those people are far, far, far from God. Who are the people in our culture today Jesus would eat with, sit with, befriend? And because he would, the professional Christians would be ticked off. Think about it like this. How would these sentences be completed today? Forest Park Church is a friend of... How would you fill that blank? Forest Park Church accepts... How would you fill it in? The people of Forest Park sits with... The leaders of Forest Park have become friends with... Look, I don't have all the answers. I don't always know what's right, what's best, what's most wise, what's the perfect thing to do. I don't. But I do know this. Being with the people most unlike God is where we are most likely to experience God. And I choose that. And I choose to lead this church into that place and be present in that space. What about you? What, what would happen if every person calling FPC home clearly saw that what happens inside these four walls is not what's most important? It's what happens when these gathered inside these four walls disperse. What would happen if you realized you were more than a mom, more than a dad, more than a teacher, salesman, business owner? You saw yourself as a mobile temple of God in human form. The place where God and people meet. And you live your life like that mattered. What if you took your temple identity seriously and knew you most likely would experience God around those most unlike God? I mean, literally, when you go to a coffee shop, that's how you think. When you walk into your job, that's how you think. When you hang out with people at school, that's how you think. Not judging them, but seeing yourself as a place where they and God can intersect and meet. And you happen to be a conduit of that. You happen to be a meeting place. You help to bring and usher in the presence of God in a beautiful way right there. What would happen if you said, I'm ready to experience God and purposefully place yourself in positions where God could reveal himself to you and to another person, what would happen? How differently would life be? How much could we impact our city, our area? How many more people 
could experience the love and the mercy and the forgiveness and the compassion of Jesus. Wow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for challenging us in this message to see ourselves differently than just people who get up on Monday morning and go to work or go to school and come home and do the things we must do around the house and go to sleep and then get up and do the same thing the next day and then occasionally we come to church on Sundays. Father, thank you for the reminder today that we are more than that, but we are temples, temples, a place where you and other people meet together, a place that inhabits literally the presence of God. Father, open our eyes that we might see, as Paul tells us, that we are temples. Our bodies literally are temples of God himself. And may we go out and find people who seem to be so much unlike you and watch, watch us experience you there and watch the other people experience you there too. God, open our eyes to the power of the local church. Open our eyes to the presence of the local church. Open our eyes to the purpose of the local church. Because nobody else is coming. It's up to us. May we take this mission seriously and do whatever we must do to help people follow your son Jesus one step at a time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video. While you're here, make sure you subscribe and turn the bell on so you don't miss any other videos or content Forest Park releases. Make sure you share this with a friend. Take a few moments and check out some other things Forest Park has.